welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. Greetings all! How'd you like Ed's case last week? Pretty good, huh? He's never appearing again. He did too good. Not many cases this week, and they're all short, in contrast to the recent big weeks. And they're all losses for non-citizens. Sorry, guys. That includes a big Ninth Circuit case I'm not diving into that found that the decade-old case Casas Castellón v. DHS was implicitly overruled by the Supreme Court in Jennings v. Rodriguez, and so that non-citizens subject to mandatory detention are not entitled to a bond hearing anymore during their petition for review of a removal order in the Ninth Circuit. Sigh. Judge Berzon would have the Ninth Circuit go on bonk, and Judge Bea would have the court stop using the term non-citizen. Quote, Indeed, most of the petitioners appearing before this circuit are citizens of one country or another. End quote. Interesting point, and apparently Judge Bea was himself, at one time, a respondent in removal proceedings. On to the cases. First up is Rodriguez de Pelucho v. Garland, published by the Sixth Circuit on September 9th, 2022. This case is about the unwilling or unable to control element for asylum. Ms. Rodriguez de Pelucho, her husband Jose, and her two young children are asylum seekers from El Salvador. In that country, the couple ran a business, and so they were extorted by the notorious MS-13 gang for rents that MS-13 requires in the territories that they control, which is a lot of territory. Her husband was extorted, robbed, and threatened with death by MS-13, but he never reported it to police because he believed, like many, that MS-13 has infiltrated the police and the government. He feared he'd be killed for asking for help. And he's not necessarily wrong. Indeed, as the Sixth Circuit notes, quote, The gang member who extorted Jose of $200 had initially told him to deliver the money to a park in front of the Ulusatan mayor's office before requesting the bank transfer. The mayor was subsequently arrested for helping gang members collect rent, end quote. 
All of this was happening in Yusulatan, so definitely a well-based fear Jose had there. More things happened. Jose fled to the U.S. with one of the couple's two children, and so the gang began targeting Miss Rodriguez de Pelucho, threatening to kill her remaining son if she didn't pay rent. She did so twice, but she couldn't pay more, and so she fled to the U.S. with her child in 2017. In removal proceedings, the immigration judge believed the couple's story and held that the country condition evidence corroborated their story. For example, quote, a 2016 report from the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees suggested that victims of gang extortion like the respondents here generally do not complain to the police for fear that the gangs will retaliate against them, end quote. The Department of State reports similarly, at least in 2017. But according to the IJ and the BIA, quote, the family failed to prove that the Salvadoran government was unable or unwilling to control MS-13, end quote, as asylum law requires. On petition for review, despite stating that, quote, nobody would dispute that El Salvador has a serious problem with violence from private gangs like MS-13, end quote, the Sixth Circuit upheld the BIA. To obtain asylum based on a fear of private actors, non-citizens must show that the country's government is either unable or unwilling to control the private actors. And according to at least some published case law in the Sixth Circuit, that requires a showing merely that the non-citizen, quote, cannot reasonably expect the assistance of the government in deterring the criminal actor, end quote. Interesting standard. But here, all the tribunals punished Miss Rodriguez de Pelucho and her husband severely for not reporting the terrors they faced by MS-13 to police. Not reporting harm and threats and other things to police doesn't necessarily destroy an asylum case in the Sixth Circuit, but it will make success, quote, more difficult, end quote. Insurmountable here, and under the deferential standard of review employed when reviewing the BIA on such things, the Sixth Circuit wasn't willing to overturn the BIA. Other factors were present in this case, perhaps not present in other cases, showing to the Sixth Circuit and the BIA that the police may have helped them if they had reported their fears and the threats to police. Watch out though, BIA, as other Sixth Circuit case law seems to deem it error for the BIA to quote, have relied exclusively on an immigrant's failure to alert the police as the ground for its holding that the immigrant did not prove that the government was unable or unwilling, end quote. Or remember it, litigators. The Sixth Circuit majority held that this case was not like other recent non-citizen favorable cases decided by the Sixth Circuit, and so denied the petition for review. Judge Clay, in dissent, pretty much wrote the opposite decision and would remand with strong implications for granting relief. And that is Rodriguez de Pelucho v. Garland. Next is Augustine Matthias v. Garland, published by the Fifth Circuit on September 9th, 2022. This is a short, if interesting, one about non-LPR cancellation of removal. Remember, short. Essentially, Mr. Augustine Matthias applied for non-LPR cancellation of removal under INA Section 240AB in immigration court, and he met all of the elements, except one important one. He couldn't establish the requisite exceptional and extremely unusual hardship to a U.S. citizen or lawful permanent resident spouse, parent, or child. It looks like he had a U.S. citizen wife, but I guess the immigration judge and the BIA held that he didn't establish a sufficient hardship to her if he was removed to his country. Reading the tea leaves a bit again, it's a short decision. 
But he did have stepchildren, and before the BIA at least, he claimed that they were U.S. citizens. But the IJ and the BIA disagreed. According to them, Mr. Augustine Matias, quote, did not point to any record evidence, such as the children's birth certificates or United States passports, which would show that the children in question are in fact his wife's biological children and are United States citizens, end quote. Stepchildren will cut it. A properly documented stepchild qualifies as a qualifying relative for non-LPR cancellation of removal purposes. On petition for review to the Fifth Circuit, Mr. Augustine Matthias, of course, challenged the BIA's determination that he had failed to meet his burden, and pointed to the testimony of what appears to be his U.S. citizen wife and a, quote, counselor, end quote, who interviewed his wife, attesting that the kids are his wife's children and that they are U.S. citizens. The BIA, of course, had rejected that testimony, and the Fifth Circuit didn't feel compelled to overturn the BIA. Seems like everybody wants birth certificates. The Fifth Circuit rejected Mr. Augustine Matias's alternative argument that the cancellation of removal statute violates the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution because it does not care about the hardship that Mr. Augustine Matias will suffer. That's how Congress wrote the statute, and that's okay to the Fifth Circuit. Accordingly, the court denied the petition for review. So, Weird case and serious oversight by all involved if Mr. Augustine Matias is telling the truth, and it's ripe for reopening if someone comes forth with a birth certificate. And that is Augustine Matias v. Garland. The final case this week is Lopez v. Attorney General of the U.S., published by the Third Circuit on, you guessed it, September 9th, 2022. This case is about INA Section 212H waivers, and it actually arises in the context of the Nicaraguan Adjustment and Central American Relief Act, or NACARA, always a fun one. Summarily stated, NACARA gave a favorable path for certain Salvadoran, Guatemalan, and Nicaraguan citizens to obtain LPR status in the United States, but cabined the discretion to do so, quote, by imposing stricter standards for applicants who have committed an offense that the INA lists as grounds for inadmissibility, end quote. Mr. Lopez is from El Salvador, and he's been here long enough, and he's eligible for NACARA relief, but he has a problem. He has a conviction for possession of marijuana. That act is decriminalized in many states, and it shouldn't make non-citizens removable in the 11th Circuit or the 8th Circuit if the conviction occurred in Florida, but it's a big problem here. Talk about a patchwork immigration system. As relevant in this case, the conviction from 2015, quote, triggered a limiting provision in NACARA that bumps the requirement of continuous presence in the United States from 7 to 10 years and restarts the clock from commission of the controlled substance offense, end quote which here was 2009. Long story short, it tanked Mr. Lopez's NACARA eligibility, so if he was going to get it at all, he needed a waiver. He attempted to apply for an INA Section 212H waiver concurrently with his NACARA application to adjust to LPR status. And if he's eligible for the waiver, his conviction would appear relatively easy to waive, if he could apply for a waiver. But the BIA held in this case, that you can't do that. You can't get a 212H waiver concurrently with a NACARA application because, it appears, the BIA held that NACARA is akin to cancellation of removal, and you can't layer a waiver on top of a cancellation of removal application. 
cognizant that only a Sith speaks in absolutes, waivers are really usually just for adjustment of status or immigrant visa applications. That's the finding Mr. Lopez challenged here. But the Third Circuit agreed with the BIA, believing the holding required by the ordinary meaning of NACARA and Section 212H of the INA. Summarized, Section 212H mentions some forms of relief that can utilize the waiver, but it doesn't mention NACARA. Strong indication, said the Third Circuit. Rejecting Mr. Lopez's alternative argument, the court held that NACARA is not just another term for adjustment of status. If it was, again, Mr. Lopez could get the waiver because adjustment of status applicants can get a Section 212H waiver. Rather, NACARA permits an immigration judge to, quote, cancel removal of and adjust the status of lawful permanent resident, end quote. That sounds a lot more like cancellation of removal, said the Third Circuit, agreeing with the BIA. And if it's like cancellation of removal, you can't get a 212H waiver with it. The Third Circuit believes the legislative history of Section 212H and NACARA supports this reading as well. Mr. Lopez, therefore, will be removed due to a possession of marijuana conviction. But if you're listening, counsel... And if you have the stomach for it, a motion to reconsider at the BIA might not be crazy if the definition of marijuana in whatever state Mr. Lopez obtained his conviction for possession has a similarly broad definition of marijuana akin to Florida. That is, if the state criminalizes possession of the seeds, stalks, or stems of a marijuana plant. Check out, of course, Gonzalez v. Wilkinson, episode 46 from the 8th Circuit, Saeed v. U.S. Attorney General, episode 100 from the 11th, and heck, the rationale with methamphetamine from the 7th Circuit in Aguiar Zunega, episode 112. And that is Lopez v. Attorney General of the U.S. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official immigration review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet, at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Immigration Review.